I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you now for this time of the service as we come to open up your word, Lord. Father, we pray that you would teach us from your word, Lord. Help us to see the message in our text today so that we might understand it and apply it to our lives, Lord, so that we can become more like Jesus. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. John hated living in Jim's shadow. Jim had it all. Jim was the golden child. He was the eldest brother. He was the one that uh, the, the father was grooming to take control of the family business and carry on the family name and the family heritage in the, through the, the course of the business. Jim had it all together. Jim had a wonderful wife. He married his high school sweetheart. As he, took into the fam- as he came into the family business and began to run more and more of the family business, he became very successful, a very successful businessman in the business. He was well known throughout the community. People loved Jim. Everything worked out for Jim. John despised that. Oh, he loved his brother Jim, but he hated the fact that it always seemed to go good for Jim, and he just couldn't seem to get ahead in life. He often wondered, when is it my time? When do I get to make a name for myself? Things were going well for Jim and Mary. As Jim grew in the business and the the business expanded, they were planning to start a family And then tragedy struck. One morning on the way to work, Jim was killed in a a terrible car accident. Of course, Mary was devastated. And John, he, he loved his brother, and so he was saddened that his brother was killed in this car wreck. But he thought in his mind, this is my opportunity. This is my chance. Now I can run the family business and I can make a name for myself. But there was one problem. See, Jim had left his entire estate, including his stake in the family business, to Mary. John was furious. No way! That's my birthright. I have every right to own that business, to take control of that business and run that business. It's my birthright. It's my chance to make a name for myself. And so, he hired the best lawyers he could, and he took Mary to court. Sued her to try to take control of the family business. Of course, in that, John did make a name for himself, but not quite the name he thought. No, he became known as the greedy brother-in-law who took advantage of a distraught widow. 
That story is all too familiar, isn't it? How many families do all of us know who were absolutely destroyed because of greed? Fighting over an inheritance. Fighting over this thing or that thing. As we look at our text today, Moses gives us a very similar situation. As he looks to apply God's covenantal commands to the people of Israel, he is warning them today about bad attitudes. And that's what we see here in today's text. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 25. We're looking at verses 5 through 12 this morning. Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 12. And here in this text, Moses provides us two very similar scenarios which teach us a a valuable lesson. Bad attitudes bear shameful consequences. Bad attitudes bear shameful consequences. And so today from our text, I want to show you two bad attitudes that Moses brings out to us. Two bad attitudes that bear shameful consequences. We could add to that, but we'll just focus on these two. But then I don't want to just leave it there, so I'm going to counter that by looking to Jesus as Jesus demonstrates for us at least two good attitudes that bear honorable consequences. So as we begin to look at our text this morning, first we begin with the two bad attitudes that bear shameful consequences. And the first story that Moses gives us, this first scenario that he presents to us, we find that covetousness bears shameful consequences. Covetousness bears shameful consequences. In this first little story here, he presents this idea of the Levite marriage. Now, that's not something that we deal with today in our society, in our culture. Uh, It's something that has gone away. But what is Levite marriage? I've often wondered this growing up because I've never saw the term actually in the Scripture, but we always called it Levite marriage. Well, Levite, the term Levite actually comes from the Latin, which means husband's brother. And we do see husband's brother over and over again in our text. In fact, that little phrase there appears four times in this paragraph in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10. And so that's where, if you were wondering, that's where Levite, that term Levite comes from. It's the husband's brother and the marriage that comes from it. But here we see this idea of Levite marriage coming into play in the, the nation of Israel. Notice what he says there, starting in verse 5. If brothers dwell together, that is to indicate that they are part of this family unit. They're they're on the same property. They are enjoying the same inheritance from their father. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not marry outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the firstborn, the first son, whom she bears, shall succeed uh, to the name of the dead brother. That, that's important, that 
his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Now again, this is not something that we practice today, but it was very important to the people of Israel. Because in the the land of Israel, uh, that covenantal inheritance, as they went into the land of promise, as, as God gave them the land, and that land was divided up to this family, that family, and this other family, and those families received their inheritance from the Lord, to perpetuate one's name in the land was essential to covenantal blessings. And that's why it says the the husband's brother, the Levite, is to perform the duties of a husband's brother and provide that man who didn't have an heir, to provide him an heir so that his name might not be blotted out of Israel. You see, to have one's name blotted out was basically the idea of, of, of being under the covenantal curse. Being under God's curse. Being cursed by God. In fact, we see it in Deuteronomy chapter 25 in a a few paragraphs later. If you want to glance over there, verse 17. Chapter 25, verse 17. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail. Those who were lagging behind you and... He did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. You see, Amalek, because of his actions, came under the curse of of God. Now we'll deal with that text in a couple of weeks, but but we see here that to be to have one's name blotted out is equal to being becoming or coming under God's curse. It's equal to being cursed by God, and you wouldn't want your brother's name to be blotted out. And so Moses commands the Levite, he commands the husband's brother to do what is necessary to keep his name from being blotted out of Israel, giving him a name to last in the, name, in the land of Israel, within the nation of Israel. But then there's a problem. Moses enters into, a, enters into the story a, a problem. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, Then his brother's wife shall go up to the gates to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Now why, why in the world would the husband's brother not want to see his brother's name perpetuated in the land of Israel? Because the husband's brother brother is greedy. The husband's brother looks at his brother's inheritance and says, I want that. He looks at the inheritance that his brother stood to inherit and pass on to his sons, his children, and says, I covet that. I want that for my own. And so he says, 
I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep that for myself. We see this as part of Deuteronomy's commandments as the the law and Deuteronomy has already shown us. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 17 uh, informs the Israelites, commands the Israelites, requires of the Israelites that the father give the eldest son double portions. Because the eldest son is the the son of his youth. And so that son is to get a double portion. He's to get twice as much as all of the other kids. He is to get a double portion. And so now that eldest son, the older brother, is dead. And the younger brother says, oh, wait. He was going to get double. And if he doesn't have a, an offspring, if he doesn't have a child to carry on his name, then that comes to me. He covets and says, I don't want to perform the duties of a husband's brother, of a Levite, to my brother's wife. And so the wife goes to the elders of the city. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's not doing the, the, the duty of his brother. He's not doing what's necessary to carry on his brother's name. And the elders of the city, as the text goes on, the elders of the city, they approach him and they say, hey, what's going on? Why don't you want to do this? And they try to, to talk to him and convince him to do what is required by the law to perpetuate his brother's name in the land of Israel. But if he continues to refuse... He continues and persists in verse 8 it says then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him and if he persists saying I do not wish to take her then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face and she shall answer and say so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. Now what's all that about? Well, you see, this brother, he wanted to make a name for himself. He, he thought, now I get the inheritance. Now I get all of it for myself. He coveted. He thought he would make a name for himself by carrying on the family name and getting the the greater portion of the inheritance, but it backfired on him. No, his, his attitude, his bad attitude had a shameful consequence. It ended with the wife of the dead man spitting in his face, which would have caused him to be ceremonially unclean and unable to enter into the presence of the Lord during the worship of Israel. And instead of getting a, a good name for himself. He was named, his whole family, his whole line would become known as the man who was a sorry, no good for nothing, who wouldn't perform the duty of his dead brother so that his dead brother's name would be carried on in the land of Israel. Instead of making a good name for himself, he made a shameful name for himself. 
And that was important, especially in this cultural context, in Moses' cultural context. We're, we're not quite familiar with this in our day because we don't have this honor-shame kind of society in our day. We do see it in other cultures. Uh, Japan, Japanese, they, they have this kind of shame and honor kind of culture. To be shamed in your culture was a horrible thing. If you shamed your family name, uh, that was just dis- that's despicable. That's despicable. No one wants to shame their family name. They want to be honored. They want their family's name to be held in honor. And that was the case here in Israel. To bring shame to your family name, well, that was the lowest of the low. You never want to do that. You do whatever is possible so that your name, your family's name is held in honor and not shame but here this man's bad attitude had a shameful consequence it brought shame to his family name covetousness leads to shameful consequences how many families have been destroyed because of covetousness how many names have been ruined within society because of covetousness and rivalry within families we got to be careful be careful bad attitudes have shameful consequences often we we look at the end result what we want to happen we want to see have the possessions we want to have this we want to have that but we fail to see the shameful consequences that brings not only to our family name but Listen to this, as Christians, the shame that it brings to the name of Christ. As Christians, we represent Jesus in the world. We bear His name. And when we act with covetousness, when we allow covetousness to divide our families, when we allow covetousness to divide even our churches that brings shame to the name of Jesus how many people in the world won't hardly even look at the church because of the divisions that they have seen within a church the infighting that has taken place within different churches I know people who no longer want to go to church, will not enter a church because of an experience that they had in church due to covetousness, rivalry, and that sort of infighting. Bad attitudes have shameful consequences. So our first scenario here gives us this attitude of covetousness and shows us the shameful consequences of covetousness but he doesn't stop there as he continues on he gives us another scenario that demonstrates another bad attitude that has its own shameful consequences when men fight with one another now being here in the context of the Leverite marriage we might assume at at the very least that these are two brothers Although our text doesn't mention that. It doesn't tell us they were brothers, but obviously they live within the vicinity of one another. They're neighbors at the very least. But likely these are two brothers who are 
fighting one another. They're living there together. They're in this community together. And these two men begin to fight. When men fight with one another and the wife of the one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of him who is beating him and puts out her hand and seizes him by the private parts, then you shall cut off her hand. Your eye shall have no pity. Now we look at that and we think, what, what's happening here? That, that sounds a little dramatic for what happened. She grabs him in a place that she shouldn't be grabbing him. That's, that's for sure. But, but why taking off the hand? Well, let's just think about this situation and try to, to kind of work it out in our minds what's, what's taking place here. What's, what's Moses alluding to? Because this isn't an actual situation. He's just saying, if this happens. And, and so what is the situation in which something like this could happen? Well, again, we have two brothers. And they're fighting. They're given to civil rivalry, right? Civil rivalry, we see that all over the place. And, and it happens with, with brothers and sisters. We, we compete with one another, and, and that's all good. A little bit of civil rivalry, I guess, doesn't hurt anything. A little bit of a, a competition within the family doesn't hurt anything. But then you take it to extremes, Right? The civil rivalry leads to, to the extremes. It, it goes beyond just a rivalry. And there's this rivalrous attitude that breeds this sense of do anything to win. Right? Whatever it takes to win. Whatever it takes to beat my sibling. Whatever it takes to conquer him. That's what I want to do. And that's what takes place in our text. You see, the wife gets involved now. And she does whatever is necessary that her husband might win. And you see, it's not that she just grabs him where she grabs him. It, it has to be the fact that she grabs him in such a way that she causes permanent damage because the, the consequence of her doing what she does is she loses a hand. And we already know from our study in Deuteronomy that it is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life, not a life for an eye or a life for a tooth, right? Whatever the punishment is, it must be uh, commensurate, it must be equal to the crime. And in this case, her hand's cut off. This isn't just a moral issue of she grabbed him in a place that she shouldn't. This, this is a serious issue. She has, has grabbed him in such a way that he, she has permanently injured this man's brother so that now he is unable to bear children, to have offspring, to perpetuate his name in the land of Israel. See, it's all in the context. It's a win at every at all expenses kind of attitude. This rivalrous attitude, I'm going to win. And it spreads from the husband to the husband's wife. And, and now the husband's wife has called permanent damage to this man over a little civil rivalry. Rivalry bears shameful consequences. 
rivalry bears shameful consequences when it goes beyond a little healthy competition to this rivalrous attitude of win at all cost it goes beyond the line and it bears shameful consequences now her hands cut off as a living testimony of her shameful act The mutilation of her hand is a mark of shame upon her and her husband. You see, rivalry bears shameful consequences. We need to be careful. We need to be careful of our attitude, not just covetousness and rivalry. All of our bad attitudes bring shame to the name. As Christians... Bearing the name of Jesus, it's just not our name that we shame when we bear these bad attitudes. When we allow bad attitudes to define us in our culture, we don't just bring shame to us. If that were just the case, well, oh well. But no, 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 we bring shame to the name of Jesus. As representatives of Christ in the world, we bring shame to His name. Just like these acts would bring shame on the name of Yahweh in the Old Testament, when we act in bad manner, when we demonstrate bad attitudes, we bring shame to the name of Jesus Christ. Bad attitudes bear shameful consequences. I don't want us to leave us there, though. I don't want to leave us just with the negative, bad attitudes, bear shameful consequences. I want to look at the positive. And by looking at the positive, or in looking at the positive, I want to look at our greatest example. Not these bad characters in Moses' scenarios, but I want to look at our greatest example, Jesus Christ. And for that, I want to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Familiar text, one of my favorite texts in Scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Most of you will be familiar with this text. I've quoted it a a hundred times at least. But uh, here we we turn to this text again. And here we see two, uh, two different consequences, two contrasting attitudes that bring honorable consequences. Notice what he says there. Philippians chapters 2, starting in verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's yours in Christ Jesus, Christian. 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now we could add a few other consequences in here, but let's just focus on two, uh, or excuse me, we could add a bunch of different attitudes here that we see in our text, but let's focus on two. First, love bears honorable consequences. Love bears honorable consequences. Again, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Love bears honorable consequences. Love bears honorable consequences. Now, we, we talk about love often. Is that love a noun? Is it a verb? Well, it, it's, it is a noun, and it's a verb, and it's even an attitude. Someone wants to find love as an attitude that uh, predisposes one to think, feel, and act in particular ways toward the love object. Love is an attitude that, that changes how we act and how we the things that we do towards the people whom we love. And Paul calls us to love one another. Love is a decision. It is a decision. It's not an emotion. It's not simply an, an emotion. It is a decision. If it were just a, an emotion, then love would change from one day to the next. But love's not an emotion. It's a decision. It's a decision to act differently towards the object of your love. It's a decision. Love is a decision. We have to decide to love one another and to act loving towards one another. Love is a decision, but furthermore, love unites. Love unites. Be of one accord and one mind. Paul brings this, uh, this out over and over again. We're to be oneness together one mind one love one body of believers love unites when people love one another and uh, and demonstrate that lord that love for one another through acts of kindness that brings unity within a family and within a body of believers, if we're looking at our church family, it brings unity within the body of believers. It brings unity. Where bad attitudes of covetousness and, and rivalry brings division within a family, love unites. It brings us together. Love is the decision. Love unites. And love, just think about this, love even overcomes mistakes. It overcomes sin. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins when we make the decision to love one another. Then we make a decision to forgive one another and bear one another's sins, just as Christ bore our sins. Love brings honor 
to the family name, to the name of Jesus. Another good attitude that we see here that strengthens familial bonds is, of course, humility. Humility is the main attitude that we see coming out in this text. Where he says, but in humility, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We could add there, do nothing from covetousness or rivalry. Do nothing from covetousness or rivalry, selfish ambition or deceit. Do nothing for those bad attitudes. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Humility bears honorable consequences. Humility counts others more significant. Were our examples in Moses' Moses's scenarios, they counted their own selfish interest as most important. Jesus Himself demonstrates that He counts us more significant. He counts our need more significant, even over His own. We are called to count others more significant than ourselves, and humility puts others first. It puts others' needs above our own needs and wants. Humility brings us together. It unites us. And of course, Jesus gives us this perfect example. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, dear Christian, in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, He was in the form of God, but he didn't count that to be something to be grasped. He didn't count that as something to be held on to. But instead, he emptied himself. And being found in form, in, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on Calvary's cross. You see, Jesus counted you more significant. He saw you and your sin and your shame. And He came to this earth to bear your sin and your shame in your place so that you might have honor before the Lord. So that you might bear His honorable name before His Father. Love and humility leads to an honorable name. Bad attitudes bear shameful consequences for you, for your family, for the name of, of Jesus Christ even. Instead of bad attitude, model Christ's example. If it were not for Christ, if it were not for His sacrifice, if it were not for him putting you first, you'd have no hope in, of any kind of eternal inheritance. Through love and humility, Christ put you first so that you might have eternal life in Him. Do not sacrifice familial relationships or stain the name of Christ for a worldly inheritance, brothers and sisters. All of that all of those things ultimately fade away. 
They will rust, they will rot, they will be destroyed. They are even now in the process of perishing, Scripture tells us. Through love and humility, put others first. And honor the name of Jesus Christ. I ask you today, has your life been ruined by greed, covetousness, rivalry? Or maybe it's, it's some other sinful attitude. Maybe you're given to gossip, slander, malice, deceit, sexual immorality, or any other sin that we could list this morning. Dear friend, I want you to know that Christ loves you. And in humility, He counted you more significant. And He stepped down off of His heavenly throne and He came to this world and He bore your shame. He bore your shame on Calvary's cross. And if you will turn away from your shame and look to Jesus, if you'll give your life to Him, trust in His name, He will give you honor, eternal honor, bearing His glorious name. Will you trust Him today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the instruction that You give to us, Lord. As Christians, as we gather together as Your church, we bear the name of Jesus. We bear Your name. And in this world, Lord, we are to bear Your name with honor. To bring glory and honor to Your name. Even in these jars of clay, we're to bring glory and honor to Your name. Certainly we make mistakes. But Lord, we pray, as You've given us a mind like your own in Christ Jesus through your salvation through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as you've given us this mind Lord help us empower us so that we could put covetousness rivalry greed all of those sinful attitudes aside and live for your glory and your honor we need you to help us, Lord. Empower us to bring honor to your name. Lord, if there are any today who have never trusted in Jesus, Lord, they are living in their shame. The shame of sin is covering them. Lord, help them to step out of that shame today. Help them to lay that shame aside. Help them to put that shame on Calvary's cross so that they can live in you in honor. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.